Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who's ever been murdered to death by a multiversal version of your very own son. Age of Oedipus, anyone? It is time to administer your weekly dose of X. I am your astonishing host, Jason, and on the other end of the line is your uncanny host, Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, but I'm always open to bribes to make it even better. Wow, that's a hell of an opening, man. Wow, good to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, we have two books to talk about today. I know we only listed one at the end of the, the last episode, but there's actually going to be two. The first is Sabretooth and the Exiles, number five of five, the finale of that uh, miniseries, and the Invincible Iron Man, number four. Wait, but do I have a mistake in my show sheet here? Is this, this is not the Iron Man show. This is the uh, Weird Dose of X show. So we'll have to figure <laughs> out what's going on there when we get to that point. But Tony Stark is a mutant. Oh, oh, breaking news. I, I, I pushed that button. If I knew what that button was on our little uh, recording software here, Jim will have to put that in post. But yeah, before we get to uh, Tony Stark maybe being some kind of a mutant, uh, we do have a bit of news to talk about up front. Marvel and the X Office have released some more information about which books will be part of the upcoming Fall of X phase of this Krakoan adventure, coming to a podcast near you this August. More and more, it's becoming clear that the architect, the main guy, the orchestra leader running this whole section of the story is going to be Jerry Duggan. He's been writing the nominally flagship X-Men book for almost two years now, since right after the first Hellfire Gala, but that's never really felt like the main event. That may be changing as more titles, both central and probably tangential to the fall of X, are being announced, with Duggan's name kind of attached to them. So these most recent little bits of information released by Marvel at a panel at the Megacon event in Orlando. Always good news out of Florida. Uh, first, we have a, a really lovely bit of promo art drawn by Brian Hitch, who might be Marvel's best artist right now, colored by Alex Sinclair. I mean, I, I say it's lovely, but what it is is a pile of very dead-looking X-Men characters. Uh, Gene, Scott, Iceman, Cable, Bishop, Omega Red, Destiny, Wolverine, on and on and on. We even see Kingpin there, who only just showed up on the island and seems to be dead already. And uh, it's kind of neat, though. If you kind of mentally rotate the image and pretend you're looking at it from above, they seem to have been arranged, these corpses, in the classic X-in-a-circle X-Men logo which I thought that was, was kind of neat. Now, I can't remember, Ruben, did Oranos do something like this with the, the corpses on uh, on Mars after he did his thing? Or was, I, yes. I, was it the same symbol? Yes. Okay, I, I, it was pushing a little button in my brain. Like, I've seen that recently. It's what you do with a pile of X-Men corpses, I that's, guess. That's what I would do, of course. <laughs> well, the only clearly still alive character in this image is Professor X, unhelmeted, Kneeling in front, distraught, possibly weeping. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful image. Did you? Uh, what, what did you think of this whole image? Did it, did it uh, mean as much to you? No. No? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Cynical. Cynical, bribe-hungry Ruben today. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't like Brian Hitch's art as much as you do. Wow, okay. So that's going to be the controversial statement, number one. And then I think I've been on record as saying I don't want to see a big reversion to the status quo. And this is probably indicating that that's coming. And I usually get kind of thrown out when I see just a bunch of characters being killed off for like cheap emotional gimmicks. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'll read the story. I'm not saying that this image tells me the story is going to be poor, but the image itself just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, this is just, I mean, I, uh, Brian Hitch, uh, I think like on, on Venom particularly, I, I really enjoyed his stuff lately. But yeah, this image is, it's, I don't think it's anything like a an actual picture of something that's going to happen exactly like this 
in the books. It's just, it's just a promo. It's provocative, right? It kind of mm-hmm. tells you something that big is coming that's going to yeah, kill all of them. very reminiscent of another uh, promo image from the past, an ad for The Fall of the Mutants, drawn by Alan Davis back in that great year of 1987. Now, that image is much simpler than Brian Hitch's art, but similar, it's uh, a bunch of dead X-Men characters, including many of the same characters, dead again. Uh, I did tweet those images out last night. I'll ask Jim to have the, the main Weird Science account retweeted if people haven't haven't seen the pictures. I think it is it's an, a nice reference to something that's happened in the past without being quite as much on the nose as, as Marvel has done with some of its references lately. But for our purposes, even more important than the image itself, uh, there's a list on the side of that image listing titles of books that I guess are going to be part of the Fall of X. There are 13 titles listed here. That's, that's a lot. Some of these are existing ongoing series we already know about. Some of them are upcoming series we have already heard about but haven't seen yet, and some of them are are brand new information. And and frankly, since this was announced on April 1st, I'm not entirely sure that some of these might not be April Fool's Day jokes. Uh, I think we might be being pranked here. I'm not sure. I'm just putting it out there. If it turns out to be a prank, I was skeptical at the beginning. Well, I did see Karen Gillen retweeting this. And basically just saying something like, oh, interesting. So either they're all in on it or this is a legitimate thing. And it was just poor decision making to put it out on <laughs> April 1st. I guess so. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list all these titles and uh, I'm going to talk about a few of them. Some of them just say, hey, that's a thing. And Ruben, you feel free to jump in, give your two Mysterium cents on any of these ones. Now here's the best part for, for you. So I'm on the official Marvel site because I had to remember what these titles are. And it says, uh, the haunting image is accompanied by a list of Fall of X tie-in titles, some of which have yet to be announced. So this apparently is not even the full list of crazy titles that are going to tie into this. Oh, boy. (laughs) Big cash grab. (laughs) Insert cash register sound. Okay, so buckle up, folks. Here we go. I'm going to list all these titles, all the titles so far. First off, X-Men, of course. Yes, X-Men's going to be part of it, yes. naturally, continue to be written by Jerry Duggan. Next, The Astonishing Iceman. Huh. No, I don't need that. You don't need that? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, there have been Iceman books before, of course. Most recently, two volumes, the, the Cena Grace ones. I'm going to guess Teeny Howard's going to write it, and it's going to be placating the kind of gay-leaning X-Men fans. So I'm glad they'll have this title, but I probably will skip it. I mean, honestly, I'll probably read it because we have to, but... I imagine reading the first issue and just being like, okay, that was nothing. Well, that was that was Ruben's guess, everyone, in case you don't know our voices yet. Do you want to write into somebody about that? <laughs> that was Ruben. Hey, it's. I think it's fair to say, like, look, not for me, right? I'm happy that these books exist, and I happy, I'm happy that that community gets representation. Doesn't mean I have to be, like, excited about every single one of them. Fair enough. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is the first Iceman book I can find that has astonishing as part of the title. You know, they like to mix up these adjectives. There's no creator information provided so far. We don't know if it's going to be a mini or an ongoing or what. And yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you're correct that it's going to be, uh, be that creator. Next, uh, Wolverine, continuing under Ben Percy. Yeah. No, uh, no surprise there. I think as between Astonishing Iceman and Wolverine, I will probably like Astonishing Iceman better. <laughs> Somebody get Ben Percy off the Wolverine book. Hot take on a cold man. Next up, Children of the Vault. Not thankfully yeah. another Children of the Atom volume. I think we're we're done with that crew. Yeah, so if this is real, I'll say if this is real, this was the book that was written for me. 
That's what I thought and when obviously, I read the title. That's, that's Ruben's book. Yeah, somebody went to my Twitter account and was like, what would Ruben like to read? So yeah, I'm excited for that one for sure. So Merry Christmas to you. And again, no creative information for this title either. Yeah, as long as it's not Steve Orlando, let's let's get that out there. <laughs> it was last time we saw them, they were being written by Jerry Duggan in X-Men number 18. So maybe it'll be him again. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. All right. Next up, Invincible Iron Man, which is you know, mentioned above, so you'll hear more about that later. This is a series that started a few months ago. It's not part of the X office, so the editorial staff is, is written, is, is different rather, but it is being written by Jerry Duggan. Uh, yeah, so Tony is going to get involved in some sort of Krakoan business, and we'll, we'll talk about that some more coming up. I mean, it makes complete sense when we get to the Iron Man section of this. I, I feel like it probably explains also who's responsible for the fall of X, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably be reading it. I was a longtime Iron Man fan when I was a, originally a comic fan, and kind of just got out of it. Sort of like Spider-Man, I just kind of felt like, you know, maybe this is for like a younger audience, that character, but um, I was suckered in by the, you know, tease tie-ins to like the X-Universe, and I'm I don't want to say like Invincible Iron Man is like you know a slam dunk, amazing storyline, but I'm intrigued. So yeah, I'll probably be keeping on with it at least until we see what happens in August. Sounds good. Yeah, you can be our uh, Tony Stark correspondent then. Next up, Dark X Men. Once again, just the title, no other information. Do you have any connection with what this might mean? Yeah, I'm confused about that one. The only thing it, when I see Dark, I think Dark Beast. So maybe this is some kind of weird. There was a team called Dark X-Men briefly in the past. At least the book was called Dark X-Men. I don't think they ever called them that in-universe. It was during the 2009 Dark Reign era when Norman Osborn was kind of running everything. So he had a title of Dark Avengers, and he had a group of Dark X-Men. And and Dark Beast, I'm pretty sure, was on that team. So does this book have anything at all to do with that book? Or they just like the title Dark? Is it going to be like Justice League Dark, where it's the magic-y, magic-y ones? No idea. No no writer, no artist, no concept art, just uh, just those, just that title listed alongside this one, one image. Could be fun, could be nonsense. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm definitely intrigued, at least. Curious enough to find out what the heck it is, that's for sure. Next, Uncanny Avengers. We had heard about this book previously. It's going to be a, quote, unity team, unquote, of some X-Men and some Avengers who come together in the aftermath of something, something, something happens at the Hellfire Gala. And we don't know if it's going to be a limited series or an ongoing, but it will be written by, you guessed it, Jerry Duggan. And this existed before, right? This There was a uncanny Bring Avengers. the X-Men Avengers together. This seems to be what they call them. Uh, next, Realm of X. Once again, no further info, just a title. It could be more Betsy Britain stuff by Teeny Howard. It could be the next chapter of what Cy Spurrier has been doing with Nightcrawler and Friends. Listeners, folks, your guess is as good as ours. Realm of X. Yeah, if this is a Cy story, I'll read it. And if it's a Teeny Howard story, I will skip it. I don't need Otherworld. Her latest Betsy Britain stuff just started a month or two ago. So unless that's a super short miniseries, it would seem weird to to give her another one so, so quickly. Again, who knows when this is really starting? It's just a title and a list. Maybe this isn't coming for another 12 months. Next up, X-Men Red. Sure, Al Ewing going to continue to do his thing on Mars. Glad to see that continuing. One of our, our favorite books. I'll keep reading it. Yep. Next up, Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight? Canada's own third tier super team? You can that that was me, Jason. You can send letters into me, all you Indian Canadians out there. 
Yeah, it, it was briefly a space-focused team, right? Headed up by Abigail Brand. She was involved in Alpha Flight for a hot minute. So that was, uh, yeah, if it's Puck, I don't care. And if it's Abigail Brand, I do care, obviously. So we'll see which version of Alpha Flight we get. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I shouldn't I shouldn't dismiss Puck. He's pretty hilarious. And what, Sasquatch? <laughs> that makes me think, wait, could this just be a joke? I mean, if I were writing an April Fool's Day joke, I would include Alpha Flight. That's just yeah. what I would do. So I don't know. Okay, moving on. Uh, X-Force. Ben Percy continuing to character assassinate Beast, I presume. <laughs> why, why stop now? <laughs> He's not a nice guy, right? <laughs> oh, there's your hot take. Okay. I don't think I have anything else to say about X-Force right now. Yeah. Uh, next up, Uncanny Spider-Man. Now, okay, this has got to be a joke. Uncanny Spider-Man? We already have a million and one spider characters. We just heard about Spider-Boy coming back or being a new cat. Who even knows anymore? Is this going to be, what, like a, a mutant version of Spider-Man or, or Spider-Man tying in? I any idea? It could be a team up. If you know, Uncanny Avengers is Avengers with a few X Men. Maybe this is Spider Man, Firestar, and Iceman kicking it. Oh, could be, could be those friends. Yep, could be. And again, we don't know if this is going to be a one shot, a mini series. Who knows? It's it's just a title. And finally, and uncontroversially, uh, Immortal X Men. Yes, and I'll enjoy that. Of course, it does feel like <laughs> Kieran Gillen's kind of turn in the spotlight is probably coming to a close at the end of Sins of Sinister. But if his immortal book continues for a while longer, I'm I'm happy to read read more of that. He's he's one of my favorite writers now. Back to the Uncanny Spider-Man, just a quick thought, because I was like, who who could write this? Maybe Zeb Wells gets a shot at it because, you know, he did do um gosh, what was that book that I loved? Hellions. Was it? Hellions, thank you. Yeah, I was about to say Marauders, which was Duggan's thing, but yeah, Hellions. And that was pretty solid, right? And now he's on Spider-Man, so maybe this is him kind of returning to do something with a Kind of excellent. Yeah, it could be. We know that uh, Chasm, who's uh, what Spider-Man's clone, what's his name? He's uh, he's tied in ben with, with he, he's tied in with the whole uh, limbo situation now. So maybe maybe Uncanny Spider-Man will have to do with him. That's my best guess there. So uh, that's it. I mean, I, I say that's it. Like that's not already an insane number of books, but that's all we've got. Uh, keep tuning into the. Uh, weird Science, Weird Dose of X, and you'll hear more about all of them that ever actually exist, you'll hear about here. Uh, and again, if you have any guesses or predictions what this could be, please write on into us uh, on the Twitters, on the email. Let us know, because there is tons of room to speculate on these, which is one of our favorite things to do. And one of the reasons we do this thing is so we have somebody to, to talk to about all this nonsense that Marvel keeps throwing out at us. Yeah, these covers are interesting. I'm scrolling through the website. This a few of the teasers for them. Yeah, I think there's like three or four covers, but most of them we've got literally no information beyond the title. It looks like it looks like Wolverine is a Ghost Rider Wolverine crossover, which I, maybe I'm interested. in Yeah, that. we did we did hear about that. That's because again, Ben Percy writes Ghost Rider, Ben Percy writes Wolverine, so it makes sense to be a crossover, just like the Tony Stark thing. And that I think is all we have to say about that list of upcoming stuff. So on to this week's first book, which is Sabretooth and the Exiles, mm -hmm. number five of five. Written by Victor Laval, art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Corey Pettit, designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. <clears throat> so we left off last time with our team split up. We've got the Exiles trapped on Orcus's underwater station four with a bunch of super powerful mutant babies. And Sabretooth had gotten himself beamed aboard station five 
an Orcus UFO that has been, quote, misappropriated by Graydon Creed, the non-mutant son of Sabretooth and Mystique, who I guess has been traveling the <sighs> multiverse to kill <laughs> every version of his father. Uh, this plot, this, this is, I think this plot is happening in Superman next, isn't it? Can I see a promo that they're going to kill multiversal Superman? Anyway, it's it's happening in every book, and I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what Graydon's been doing to every version of Mama Mystique, but uh, yeah, the Oedipal overtones here are undeniable. So let's start off with the, uh, the Exiles, which by which I mean everybody who's not actually Sabretooth. We'll go through this real quick. Uh, the Exiles are under threat by these mutant babies who are drawn as literal solid black silhouettes. That's how little thought has been put into them as characters. They don't even get a design. They're just silhouette babies. Uh, Nanny gets the bright idea that, hey, to convince the mutant babies that the Exiles are no threat to them, she'll just use her vaguely defined psychic powers to regress the Exiles mentally to a baby-like state themselves. What could go wrong? It could have been fun to see our exiles acting like babies, but the book has no time for that. When the exiles return to their normal selves, Nanny has absconded with those mutant babies and taken Peter with her because, well, Victor Laval wants to write another sequel. And, oh, we get a quick reminder that Necra, or Necra, still has that Death Seed weapon to use against Sabretooth, which is a thing that appeared at the end of the prior series and was barely mentioned in all of this one. So that's them. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Sabretooth, he is about to be as I said, murdered to death by his son, who seems to be mad because his dad rescued him from hell in a story from 2018. And I guess Victor Laval's editor made him reference. I don't know. It doesn't seem to actually connect <laughs> to anything, but they wanted to connect to something. This was, yeah. uh, that, that happened when uh, Sabretooth had his, you know, little mental good-bad switch flipped by, I think it was called Axis, right? So that's when he saved his son. And for some reason, uh, Graydon's mad about that. I, I usually read these stories, and and that's the kind of thing that would get me down a rabbit hole, right? Because I'd be like, I never read that. Let me go check that out, and I just don't care at all. And it's because of the way the story is portrayed. It just feels like not important. I wonder why he's so mad about that. Let me go and find out. It just doesn't. It, it seems like it was a connection added after the fact, just to make it seem like it had a tie-in. Again, I don't I have no inside information here. That's just how it reads. Yeah. And going back to your whole comment about this stupid plotline that shows up in every comic, one of the things that makes me annoyed with this plotline is they're always portrayed as like, you know, so effective at taking out, you know, character X, right? In this case, we see, I don't know, like what, 12 Sabretooth heads on a wall? Everything except the main universe guy. Everyone else is a, is a pushover. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, seriously? Like, in this issue, right, they try to make him seem like such a badass and then pretty much just runs away with his <laughs> tail between his legs, right? Yeah, it, he's, it comes and goes really quickly. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Sabretooth is about to be killed by his son. At the last moment, he's rescued. He thinks it's his exiles coming to help him out, which it would be a surprise because they don't really like him. But it turns out to be three more multimersal versions of himself who arrive Literally out of nowhere. We don't know. Do they have a device? Do they have, were they there already? Were they captured but not killed? Yeah. It doesn't matter. So these three are, there's a Captain America Sabretooth. Why not? There's a Lady Sabretooth. Why not? And the third one, it kind of looks like Doc Samson. Who do you think this could be? <laughs> the one with the coat. Yeah. I, the one I with the, not, like, the ponytail. Yeah. In the 80s look. I, I honestly had no idea what they're trying to go with there. He's listed as being from Earth-12, uh, and he's called the baddest of the bad boy celebrities. 
Yes. I, if, if that's a reference to something, once again, listeners, please help us out here. If that's a reference to something I'm not getting, do let us yeah. know. Uh, yeah, so these are the three living ones who rush in, and uh, yeah, they're they're tough enough to drive Graydon out of the room at least through a, a trap door. And uh, our saber tooth is beaten up pretty badly. Uh, his healing uh, power has not been working so well. So these other saber tooths dig out that device that's been stuck into him. It's the Barrington coil. Uh, yes. It's been inhibiting his powers, and now he can either heal. Or he can die, depending on how it works out. Apparently, these saber tooths do this to all the saber tooths they find. Some of them get better, some of them don't. They say, "Hey, if you didn't, if you can't heal from this, you're not strong enough to be part of us anyway." So, sink or swim. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So they uh, they run off to continue to fight grading. Uh, <clears throat> try that again. So these saber tooths run off to continue trying to fight. Graydon, their multiversal semi-son. And it turns out that Graydon hasn't just been killing all these saber-tooths. He's been beheading them. We saw their heads already. And then he puts this little tech disc atop each of their necks, turning them into some kind of mindless robots. In fact, I think the resemblance to mindless ones here, like out of Doctor Strange, is pretty intentional. And it looks They look like mindless ones with saber-tooth bodies. So we get a scene of our three living saber-tooths fighting a dozen or so mindless saber-tooths. Our saber-tooth does heal up. No surprise there. He's the title character of the book. Uh, he helps out with a fight, and the living saber-tooths win by pushing Graydon through a dimensional portal, disrupting his control over the mindless saber-tooths. And at the very end, the four living saber-tooths pose together with the mindless saber-tooths now under their control and issue a vague threat to go mess with Wolverine on his birthday <laughs> because Victor Laval wants to write another sequel. And I guess this is a thing that Sabretooth does, right? He he visits Wolverine on his birthday and, and, and ruins his birthday party. Yes. So, yeah, kind of kind of shallow, kind of bringing the multiverse to, to tie things up with no real gravitas, no real you know drama to it. And everything I know about the Sabretooth personality makes it really hard for me to believe that these multiversal Sabretooths would be like, yeah, let's just get in line with the main title character right like why would they ever work together we i can know. see them coordinating to take care of graden right because it's a threat to themselves and they're like yeah we need to take care of that but i would assume they're also self-interested that they'd be like f that like i'm gonna do my own thing yeah we did see a little bit about the captain america saber tooth having just killed all the summers family in his reality mm-hmm. again whether they're the good guys bad guys who got flipped which way in that reality who knows so we do have one last data page here. Oh, God. And this one made me angry. Back to the whole, like, wanting to write your own, like, extra story. I was like, no, this is not a thing, right? Like, you didn't write a good enough story to just, you know, write a data page calling out the Sabretooth Wars, right? Like, nobody, well, I personally do not care about this in the slightest. And I don't think you're a threat or even that it interesting. It is an attempt to make the story feel bigger or, like, make everybody feel, oh, there's a thing we got to find out about. It's a, it's a, it's a tease. Which, you know, that's what comics do, so I can't be too angry about that. So this is a journal entry. Uh, the name in the footer says Mole, who is a character we saw a bit in the prior miniseries, seems to be a stand-in for the Krakoan proletariat. Yeah, the, the moletariat, maybe. Those, you know, those non-sexy backgroundish characters that make up the majority of Krakoan residents. <clears throat> so Mole here tells the true American historical story of the Maroons, who were escaped slaves who created their own communities in, among other places, Virginia and North Carolina's Great Dismal Swamp, which is a neat place, by the way, historically and you know just for nature. I saw a ton of, let's see, or prothonotary warblers there once. 
cool place. Anyway, uh, this journal entry seemed to come from some undefined future time period. How we get it now, no one knows. And, and why is Mole telling the story connected to the history of slavery? He's now, in this vague future, a member of a group that calls themselves Maroons, which seems sketchy to me, you know, appropriating a term connected with slavery. Not something I would do myself, but, you know, what do I know? Uh, this is also the name the Exiles gave their newly expanded and renovated ship last issue, the Maroon. So all we know about this group is that they were brought together by Necra, or possibly Necra, in the aftermath of something called the Sabretooth War, which, like you said, Ruben, is just this name that's kind of thrown out at us out of nowhere. We're told that Sabretooth, I guess connected with this war, freed thousands of mutants, but then became a threat to them. Okay, good. So he is good and bad. Sabretooth, there you go. Uh, why are we being told any of this when none of it has been foreshadowed by or connected to anything actually seen on panel during the story? Say it with me, because Victor Laval wants to write another sequel. And I, I guess he already had the deal for all three miniseries, so I'm sure a third one's coming out. I haven't heard about anything announced yet, but I guess there's a, a pretty decent gap between the first two, so we should be hearing about the third one probably any week now. But yeah, bottom line... I thought this was kind of a disappointing conclusion to the story. I was never super into the story to begin with. You could check the old tapes and confirm that. But it always felt like Victor Laval had a point he was heading towards, right? He wanted to teach us something. He had a moral, ethical, historical kind of a point he wanted to make. And that all just disappeared, this issue, just to be traded in for some very lightweight, multiversal nonsense. Uh, the arts continues to be... It, it was adequate. It was fine. It didn't really provide another reason to buy the book in itself. I thought the inside of the flying saucer looked disappointing, right? If we're inside a flying saucer and we've got a dimensional gate, that should look awesome. Did you think the inside of the flying saucer looked awesome? <laughs> I didn't think much looked awesome, and I laughed when you said the, uh, the no detail babies. There were a lot of things that just looked sort of like no detail, right? Yeah, it's everything was just kind of implied rather than and really there's no there's no page in here you want to just linger over and go wow I, I want to check out all those details I want to really take this in it it tells the story fine it doesn't get in the way but the, nothing that makes you go wow this is this is what comics are all about even his his character the was it Dr. Barrington in the creation right they're just right. kind of like shown as just like flying off into the sunset to I guess continue their evil scheme yeah, that's but, all we see of them. Is, it, is that the only page they appear on is just, yeah, they're flying off to a place called, in the Antarctic, called the Plateau of Lang, L-E-N-G, which I think is a, a Cthulhu sort of a name reference, which we haven't had any Cthulhu stuff really since earlier in this book, so I don't know why that's being brought up now, but maybe we have. I can't even remember. I'll have to look back on that. But yeah, we just see, oh yeah, these two are still out there, and they'll they'll probably be in the sequel. So... uh Positive about the art, I I did like the way the funny, uh, mindless one saber tooth neck bits looked. It it was a, a cool combination of of those two different parts of the Marvel universe. So that was that was the only positive I can really give there. Uh, my final score for Saber Tooth the Exiles number five is it's a five. It was just kind of just kind of there. Yes. Okay, so that was wrapping up one series, and now we're heading into a series we haven't spoken about before. This is Invincible Iron Man number four, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Juan Frigari, and it looks looks great. It looks much, much better than the last book we talked about, in my opinion. Colors by Brian Valenza, letters by Joe Caramagna. So first up, Ruben, 
what has been going on in this new volume of Iron Man, and why should we on this podcast care about that? <laughs> so Tony's not a mutant, but I guess he's also not an AI, if that was the, the prior stance. Yeah, la- last I heard, I, which is, I've been tuned out from his story for a while, I, last I heard, he was still kind of a, a robot himself, but... Either we're not talking about that anymore, or that's been retconned. But in any event, we're kind of getting one of those... I'd say this is another comic trope with your billionaire characters. We've got Tony, who is sort of not as rich as he used to be. Uh, But in any event, so the story starts with basically a recap of here's what's going on, and he, I guess, used his wealth to buy a bunch of dangerous weapons and stockpile them somewhere in a secret lab to kind of keep them out of regular society. And... So he's kind of, I guess he's also left Stark um, Unlimited, his company. So he's just kind of living on his old proceeds. He only has a single Iron Man suit, the Mark 70, I think, which apparently he builds outside of his time within Stark. So he feels like it's, you know, a you know personal proprietary outfit and he's out there just trying to do good. But we have a mystery villain who is trying to ruin his life, basically. And so they start by poisoning him at an AA meeting. And so he ends up kind of going on a bender and gets filmed by a bunch of people that see him like laying in some garbage bag piles. And then I guess he had a long time ago onboarded some like good spirited technologist onto his company and given him enough shares to prevent anybody from taking over Stark Unlimited. So the mystery person goes off and murders this board member who's a friend of Tony Stark's and I guess somehow tricks him to give his stock back to the market and then uses a bunch of shell companies to buy up all the stocks. So there's a hostile takeover of Stark Unlimited. And then there's, uh, I guess, this character Living Laser who comes out and he's fighting and then uh, uh, what's her name? Iron Ironheart and Tony. So Riri McWilliams and Tony Stark go out and fight her and they uh, talk to him and he says, oh, Tony Stark did some bad stuff to me. So anyways, there's a bunch of like, you know, what's going on and who's doing all this character assassination of Tony Stark. And the big reveal of this is, is it's um, Fei Long, the Orcus guy who was pissed that the mutants colonized Mars. Yes. And was that revealed in a prior issue or is that the reveal on this issue? I've only read number four. Number four. Yeah. Um, Tony Stark at the end of the third issue was like, I think I know who is messing with me. Ah, okay. And so I think the he seemed to have known that, but yeah, issue four is where we get the big full blown reveal. But it's this it's a sort of standard trope of rich billionaire loses all his money and then he's getting like dragged in public by everyone. Yep, very Batman recently. All all the rich characters do this sometimes. It's it's you know, it's something yes. to do with a rich character. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is of course why we're talking about it here is because Phalong's connected, who has been an X-Men villain for a while now. Uh, he is Kelvin Heng, a brilliant scientist slash businessman, so makes sense for him to pair up with Tony Stark here, who had, had himself physically altered to be able to live on Mars. And then as soon as that happened, the Muons took over Mars and made it into basically just like Earth, so he kind of wasted all that time and effort. Uh, yeah, he has. he's been working with Orcus, and he has a grudge, we find out, against the Avengers for not holding on to Mars back when they had it, which was a storyline out of like 2013 that I really haven't read. Did you, did you happen to read that story when there's something going on on Mars? So yeah, there's a, there's, there's a couple panels at the beginning of this issue showing uh, your basic Avengers fighting 
Some gold-colored naked guy with an Omega on his chest. I do not know who he is, but I, I could probably look that up. But yeah, whatever happened, uh, Fei Long thinks that, hey, humanity had Mars, and then you schmucks gave it up, and now the mutants have it. So he's not just mad at the mutants, he's also mad at the Avengers, specifically Tony here. <clears throat> so Tony's mad. He's mad about his company being taken over by these guys, Orcus, basically. And also about the death of his friend here. So he challenges Fei Long to a fight. They step outside the stock exchange and yeah, they duke it out. Fei Long can shoot a green energy beam out of his mouth. That gets the, uh, the, uh, the Zark is what that is translated as on panel. And he can absorb Tony's repulsor beams, no problem. So Tony beats on him for a while with a very old fashioned looking parking meter. I don't know that these classic looking parking meters still exist in New York City. It's almost <laughs> as old fashioned as like an actual telephone booth. Yes. Like, wow, that, that really brings back, uh, brings back my child and seeing those parking meters. And the thing that strikes me here is, besides the parking meter, is that no one steps in. There's no cops, no other Avengers. They don't seem to be taking any care to protect civilians. It's just these two super guys wail on each other. So Fei Long makes the classic, hey, you should join me offer. I don't understand the attraction here. Why, why would Tony Stark say, okay, yes, you have stolen my company. You have killed my friend. I think we should be pals now. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they just needed one more beat to pad out the fight scene. And that's just what you do. I yeah. don't think it was a very, uh, a very strong offer Fei Long was, Fei Long was making there. Yeah. It seemed like he seemed to think that ownership of Stark Unlimited was something that Tony would absolutely insist on. And the pitch was, hey, if you come work with me, I'll give you your company back and I'll even let you have like a public PR moment where it looks like you actually one up to me. And I guess he thinks that is what Tony would want. Uh, I guess. But I think, you know, once he crossed the line of killing his buddy, that probably was not going to happen. Yeah. It, it never seemed like there was any consideration like, oh, maybe. No, it was just, yeah, that's not going to happen. So Tony eventually wins the fight, shatters all the fingers on Fei Long's right hand, and then Tony doesn't arrest him or anything. I guess he was hoping that Fei Long would admit on tape, oh, I murdered your buddy. Yes. That doesn't happen. So there was just this, this fight, huge destruction of property. So somebody should be arrested here for something. But yes. no, Tony just, just assaults the guy and flies away. I think this is part of his you know character assassination. And this is a big, a big problem, right? He basically... From the common bystander perspective, somebody took over his company and he had like a meltdown and used his high tech suit to beat the crap out of a private citizen. So this is this does not look good, right? Because you got to know like what your average person would have access to. They wouldn't really know what that Tony's life's been getting messed with by this guy. And I actually could imagine the Avengers too being like, "What the hell?" Right? Like they're going to need to <laughs> right step in and police their own guy. Yeah, this is not going to look good on Inside Edition. Is that? Is that show still on Inside Edition? Used to be one of those kind of tabloid news shows back when I watched TV. But anyway, yeah, so this ends up with Tony getting a call from his lawyer, Jennifer Waters, She-Hulk. And then, and here's where we're really talking about it, Tony flies off to Krakoa on the last page, where it looks like he'll be teaming up with Emma Frost, as they now have an enemy in common. So Tony and Emma have some kind of a history together. You know, Tony has a history with every female in the Marvel Universe, more or less, and Emma has a history with most males in the Marvel Universe, so it makes sense that they've they've had some stuff together. So yeah, I, I thought this was an okay story. Mostly, you're very straightforward superhero fight, uh, with the more interesting bits being these connections being made on the edges, right? The idea that the ties back to Mars, 
that ties back to Orcus and Krakoa and Emma and a little bit of She-Hulk, because why not? Uh, I thought the Juan Fergari art here was was quite nice. It's, it's kind of Marvel House style, but elevated on the very, very high end of that style. Very energet- energetic, very dynamic. The fight has a, a strong sense of place, which I like. It doesn't feel like it's just a fight in the middle of nowhere. We actually see parts of New York City that that I recognize. You see that that bull statue outside the stock market. Uh, Again, I'm really curious to find out if any of these old, old old-fashioned coin-operated parking meters exist in that area. But, you know, hit somebody with a parking meter. That's a pretty classic thing to do. Uh, Overall, I'm a little concerned that there's almost too much going on with the mutants these days. So many dangling plot threads getting tangled in everywhere in the Marvel Universe. But on the other hand, I do like it when Krakoa feels like it is a real part of the larger Marvel Universe. It isn't totally off on its own. So I, I kind of guess I, I talked myself in circles on that one. But it, it, it could be, if it's done well, it could be a good thing both for you know the, the Marvel U and for Krakoa specifically. One of the interesting points here, and this is what I think I alluded to at the very beginning of the episode, was there's a one-off comment from Fei Long where basically I think Tony's like, hey, don't you shouldn't you be up on Mars dealing with, you know, the mutants there or, you know, dealing with Krakoa? And he flippantly says, oh, that's already been solved. They've already destroyed themselves. Ah, interesting. So I think there's some illusion there that Orcus, I guess, has implemented some plan that will take care of, that might lead to a fall of X. I guess it could. <laughs> I, I guess we don't know exactly where this sits in time relating to all the weird stuff going on in the Krakoan timeline right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think the fall has happened. So I think that was really him just being like, "Haha, like that's not really a something I'm worried about anymore because we've already got the plan in place." To, right. Because he then identifies Tony as like his new worthy opponent, which okay, you know, he he needed a uh, um, nemesis, right? He's like, I find Phalong's like, I finally met, you know found a person to be a worthy nemesis, which is sort of weird that he feels like he needs that. The other thing in the you know, issues one through three, I don't remember exactly where this occurred, but he does have access to this, like, Mark 70 Iron Man suit, so he has his own, like, fake Iron of Man, course. and he also has, like, a life model decoy that <laughs> apparently looks more realistic, like a more realistic version of Tony Stark than other versions of the life <laughs> model decoy, so he... You can't fight Iron Man unless you have your own Iron Man suit, that is the law. Yes, but he should be able to basically have his own bad Iron Man out there, so... Anyone that sees Iron Man in the future, you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Is it the real one, or is it the one that Fay Long has created? That that could be fun. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, you've you've got me interested in things here. I'm actually going to revise my number up a little bit. Uh, I guess I'm going to call this issue a seven point five out of ten. Nothing yeah. fantastic, nothing to write home about, but hey, there's some cool mutant stuff going on with Tony Stark. Yeah, exactly. I'm interested. I'm more around seven. You know, I thought this mm-hmm. was okay, but. Like I said, it's enough that I'm interested in seeing this and kind of, it did feel like a, as someone who hasn't read Iron Man since like 96, it was an okay place to jump on. It wasn't too confusing. Well, all right. Yeah. We'll be mentioning uh, this this uh, story, this Tony Stark stuff, when it makes sense to talk about. It. And it seemed like it's going to be more and more involved with the fall of X. So perhaps you'll be hearing a lot about Tony Stark on Weird Dose of X. And previously, I think I said, I didn't think that. Follow X was going to be the end of the Krakow era, but I actually think maybe it is because, you know, we've got the MCU coming out with X-Men movies in the future. And, you know, 
somebody would go watch that movie and then maybe they check out the comic and they'll be like, what the hell is going on? Like the mutants can't die and they live on this magical island, like rave island. I'm not sure how much they care about that alignment anymore because like Black Panther is completely different now. And I mean, part of that is just because sadly the the actor passed away. You're not going to do that in the comics. Right. Uh, but I mean, the the business news was that Marvel Entertainment is being now more tightly folded into Disney itself. Yeah. I don't know the details on that. I'm not, not a business guy, but it seems like there's going to be more direct control of the comics from you know the, the central executive type folks. So maybe maybe that's what's going to happen. I mean, it could be just a need to revert it right to make it easier to access, which you have to do every now and again. When you were telling me about like what's the status quo of Iron Man, and I was like, what? And I didn't see any of that in this, and this was. You know, issue one through four felt like a very easy onboarding point for me. Yeah, I mean, it could go a thousand different directions, and wherever it goes, uh, we intend to, to cover it here on this podcast. But next week, what we'll be talking about uh, is Wolverine number 32, which is going to be Wolverine versus all those other beasts and all those other Wolverines that that beast made. We'll be talking about Immoral X-Men number three of three in our return to the Sins of Sinister timeline which will be our first look at the year 1000. So jumping 900 years from where we last left off from all our Star Trek and Star Wars metaphors. And also next week, uh, Rogue and Gambit number two is coming out. I, I don't know about you, Ruben, but I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. And whether or not we talk about it is going to depend on whether it's any good and how much other stuff we have to talk about. Yes. So, uh, and that's, I think, all we have to say on this episode. So, Remind me, Ruben, what is it that we say at the end of each and every episode of The Weird Dose of X? Yeah, read more X-Men comics. Bye-bye. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Ruben, can you hear me?